Thank you for listening to our New Life Christian Center podcast. Stay tuned after the sermon for more ways to connect with us. Hey, we've been studying the book of Proverbs. If you'd like to join us, um, we are in chapter 28. So if you're following along in your, in your Bible, why well, turn there. If you aren't, um, put a smile on your face and pretend like you're paying attention. So... It's, it's only taken a half a year or more to get here. And, and uh, so, you know, I, I, I always have that argument with myself. And, and actually, I say I'm arguing with myself. I'm arguing with God when he asks me to do things like this because I'm a regular kind of normal human kind of. And, and uh, I get tired sometimes of just doing the same thing over and over again. And so uh, this has forced me to, to pick and choose in what scriptures I, I kind of put some light behind. And, and uh, so we've had a, an interesting, I've had an interesting time of, of study. So Proverbs 28, let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day, for this time. We are grateful, Father, because we recognize that in the midst of everyday life, you give us simple solutions, Father simple solutions to life's difficulties. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I used to think as I preached that, that depth of preaching and, and depth of, of study um, made things a little bit more difficult. And I'm learning in my old age that, that depth really makes things simple. And uh, so if if you're still going, wow, that's complicated. I have to do this and I have to do that. and I have to pay attention to this. And you're still complicating your life. Um, that's almost always a maturity issue. And I know that many of you don't like to hear these things, but it's almost always a maturity issue. So remember when you're trying to give your children instructions and they look up at you and they just get glossed over because of all the instruction you, you give them. Part of what happens as you mature is that your instructions kind of grow a web or kind of grow a connection. And so you, this instruction, which becomes kind of secondary or old hat to you, uh, connects to that one and it builds. And that's what maturity does. And so when you study the Bible in depth or when you study a particular book, as long as we have, and if you like say, I ask you to read along um, every day. And so now for three or four months or more, um, you might have read a Proverbs a day and it hadn't hurt you to go through it more than once. And, and so, you know, when you get to that place, you need to recognize that what God does in our maturity is take all of that complication that we put on ourselves and transform it into a simplicity that he gives us in truth. And, and they're, just, they're just these simple little statements of, of, of maturity and operation that, that we see in the Bible. And so Proverbs is a great place for that because basically almost every line stands by itself or every scripture stands by itself. So we're in chapter 28 of Proverbs. This is that area that we think by, by human tradition and, and by records that was held between 100 and 300 years by oral or by written uh, uh, content before it was added to what was then Solomon's writings. And so we have about 10 chapters at the tail end of the book that were written or, or written down based on people who were with Solomon, but then passed down through the generations until it, until it made its way into what we now have as the book of Proverbs rather than the writings of Solomon. And, and so this was, this was all something that, that God had to have his hand on, right? If you've, if you've ever dealt with your own 
you know, generations, your own people, and you went and dug through whatever grandma saved or whatever mom saved. I did that with my mother. My mother had a cedar chest and there was a little letter in there. And evidently, before she got married, this was her hope and dream was to have a cedar chest because her grandmother had a cedar chest and in the cedar chest was all the treasures. Now, I went to my mother's treasure box, which was probably three feet long, two feet high and 18 inches wide, a small coffin looking device um, with a lock. And I'm thinking after we got it open, I was thinking, why would you ever lock this? Because inside there were, was one pair of baby shoes. Now, I am a member of a two person family, my brother and I. So I'm trying to figure out which one my mother loved better. Because one pair of baby shoes in there. So I'm not sure. Maybe we both wore them. So that could be true. Although, not that my brother, I don't know if my brother listens. We always have a Denver connection. So maybe this is him. Rich, if you're listening, you were the fat baby and uh, had square feet and I didn't. And so I don't think we ever shared shoes, but we could have when we were, we were a baby. I, I looked through there and there was all these silly things I found in my mother's. Cedar chest, the bill for her mother's funeral. $606, including $5 for the preacher, $275 or something like that for the casket, $15 for opening the ground to put the casket in and on and on it went until it was $606 or something like that. So, you know, now why would you save that? Right? Here's the thing I want you to see about God. When we have books of the Bible that are carried through generations, somebody had to have a value on this writing connected to their ancestors. And none of you, listen, I've counseled enough in, 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 in my lifetime, to, in my ministry lifetime, to recognize that your granddaughters don't think your grandmother's china is worth a hoot. If you're, you know, if you're 70 or 80 years old and you're trying to give your China that came over from who knows where at whatever time 150 years ago, your granddaughter looks at that and it's just dusty old chipped up China. And they don't value it. And then the older people of us get all wound up. Well, why don't they value these things? Exactly. Now you can see some of the difficulty in bringing forward God's truth in society. No one is going to take the message that I'm preaching today and hold on to it for 400 years. No one. Okay, you're not going to take a, I mean, if you did, whatever technology we have 400 years ago isn't going to play whatever you take into, you know, oh man, you got you to gotta get this. Last, last night, my, my children are here, Christopher and Amber are here. And uh, when I was the twins age, between nine and 10, somewhere in there, my grandfather won a contest with Standard Oil. I've told this story before. And I told the story to my boys. My grandfather got five silver dollars for, they sent a secret shopper through in the 40s. And my grandpa checked the oil, washed the windows and filled the car because that's what service stations used to do. He had his outfit on. He wore his little standard oil hat, his little patch on the deal and all that kind of stuff. His little red rag hanging out of his pocket. You know, he looked just like the advertisements. And he won these five 1886 silver dollars. 
Now, the fact that my grandfather gave them to me makes them more valuable than whatever they're worth. And so I told a story to my boys trying to teach them how to value things. And all they could see was, you got, how much are those worth, Papa? I, I don't know. They're worth a million dollars a piece to me. In fact, if you offered me a million dollars for all of them, I, I probably would sell them because, you know, I do have my limits. But, <laughs> but in general, <clears throat> see, that was kind of a bad deal because the minute I said that, I, yeah, that, those things are gone, man. <laughs> I'm selling those things right now. But, but anyway, you get the point. That, that, that value is something that we have a difficult time assessing unless we actually perceive the value as something greater than something we should consume. Right? If somebody paid me millions of dollars, so, so right now, Tracy and I really, I don't know, we don't, I mean, maybe I'd go out and buy a Lamborghini, I don't know, but, you know, I can't hardly get up out of a chair, so I don't know how I'd get out of the Lamborghini when I got in it, but I'd drive it really fast for a second, okay? <laughs> I, don't, I need help getting out. So, so I don't know what we would do. The point is that, that, that dis, dis, de, determining and, and and, and, and dissecting value is extraordinarily difficult until God gets involved. And most of us, some of us, at least one of us, me, has had a difficult time hearing from God what I should value and pass on. So when you see something like this that's valued for over between two, one and three hundred, two and four hundred years after it was written. I mean, I don't know how many generations that is, but, you know, if they lived 70 years or so, that's three, four, five generations. Somebody held this together with such importance that it was passed around. See, so, so when you process what you're learning... Right? Now, I don't mean to elevate myself to the same level as Solomon or any of those kind of things. But when you process what you're learning, you need to value it inside yourself to such a degree that when it comes time for it to come out, like to your children, to your grandchildren, to your great-grandchildren, you present it in such a way that they recognize how much you value it. That's really the point of, uh, <coughs> excuse me, of, of teaching Proverbs and giving you some of the details that I do is to try and teach you to some degree how to value what God's put in you. Because you need to pass this stuff on. So like I said, you'll probably never take one of my sermons and hold it on a cassette tape. I have them clear, but I don't have any of them. But in fact, my son is pastoring a church I used to pastor. I'm sure he's thrown it all away. But, but uh, there used to be a catalog of master tapes in a closet there. Clear back from 1986 when I started. At some point, they needed to put something in that closet. I'm sure the cassette tapes are gone. Okay? We used to have a library. And it's been a struggle for me to go through that library of my teachings and just, you know, pitch them. You say, oh, aren't they worth something? Nope. They're only worth something if you assess a value on them. Because what I taught is still in me. Right? So how do we do that? How do we take what is so valuable and allow for God to instill in us a value that is greater than grandma's saving of a pair of baby shoes? Because she put high value on the baby shoes. You know, you put a quilt in there and you take it out and it doesn't unfold because it's been in there so long. 
And it smells a lot like cedar and looks a whole lot like an old piece of cloth that you should cut up into rags. Right? I mean, old costume jewelry. Why would grandma save the costume? The point is she put value on it. And so what I'm trying to get you to see is that outside of the human side of things, there needs to be some things that you put such value on that it can be transferred generation to generation should the Lord tarry. That's how this came about. Verse number 20, or chapter number 28, verse number 1. The wicked flee when no one pursues. <laughs> the wicked flee. Listen, don't think of somebody that you know that runs away. Think of the paranoia that's in your own life when you know you're outside the boundaries of God's word and you don't want to get caught. Those times where you should get up in a movie house and walk out because of what was just put on the screen. Those times when you're watching that television show and, and you see something that just, just pokes you a little bit and you go, oh man, I'm not subjecting myself to this. And you turn it off. Those times, you know, we, we were traveling one time with our children. I don't know if I ever told you this story, but, but we used to let them buy their own music. And then when we traveled, you know, they would be able to put in whatever music, cassette tapes, um, and they would put the cassette tape in. So it would come up from the back of the van you know, whosoever turn it was, they'd pass me a cassette tape. Well, we were driving one day and, and I heard the boys laughing and, and uh, it said something that wasn't acceptable. And, and I said, what are you guys laughing at? And the youngest one, Tyler, said, Dad, didn't you hear that? And I go, no, so I rewound it. Heard it, ejected it, rolled the window down, pitched it out. At some point, this care that we have about what we put into ourselves. That makes us wicked. And we run from the accountability that God wants to put in our heart. You can't believe the number of people that know I'm a pastor and have been in, out in public and get in what they consider. See, I don't consider it that. They consider it a compromising position. Okay? When, when I walk into a restaurant... And, and whether you know it or not, if you want to have a social drink, go right ahead. Okay? Because whether I think it's wrong or not, doesn't have any effect on you all. You say, well, yeah, but pastor, it makes me feel. Yeah, that's this verse. It makes you feel. Why? Because you're outside the boundaries of what God's trying to teach you. Come on, just think with me for a second. When somebody sees you socially drinking... Either you're okay with it inside yourself and don't care, right? Or you consider it some sort of guilt. I didn't do that to you. That's in your heart. And you want to, you want to flee. See, the, the wicked flee when no one pursues them. The point is that it lives inside of you. It's not my definition of wickedness or however you want to see this verse. It's your definition of that. Are we all together? In that... In that like awkwardly difficult, how you have those things in your heart. I didn't put them there. It's not mine. It's how you've valued these things. Notice it says, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Now, let me just tell you something. Not that I should probably even use this, but you can be righteous, right? The Bible declares you innocent, justified by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. So if you want to do whatever you think God put in your heart, 
you can do that and God will mature you. And the rest of us shouldn't really have any opinion. Right? We're bold as a lion. If you want to dye your hair green and tattoo your face, I don't care. Now you will be a sight. Okay? And I may look at you like I had a guy in prison who tattooed, and you remember him? <laughs> All under his hairline. So about, I don't know, every six or eight weeks, he'd shave his head bald. Well, I, he came in one day and I, I just said, bend over and let me look at that. I mean, he was, his whole head was tattooed. Now, I don't care, but it was certainly an oddity. <coughs> Here's the point. You get to determine those things. And when you are righteous or innocent in your approach to those things, you can be bold as a lion. It's okay. But let me tell you, don't assume that the rest of us understand that. I talked with a person recently and, and <coughs> he was wanting his church to grow. And so I said, well, listen, let me help you with that a little bit. And I asked him some questions about the way he presented himself. And he told me, so I was so flabbergasted because I'd already made a judgment in my mind about why, you know, when a preacher doesn't iron his shirt, I just make a judgment about that. I'm sorry, I'm human. Iron your shirt, look presentable. But when he told me what his position was, he was bold as a lion. And so I told him, I said, listen, if you want people to understand that, you may have to explain that a little bit because people will make their own decisions when you do things like that. So righteousness, right standing with God, right? can make you or will make you bold as a lion. This is not about what the world says is right or wrong. This is about unity with the Father. New Testament unity comes from righteousness. And it'll make you bold as a lion. <coughs> I was driving recently with some people in the car and, and somebody asked me a question. I said, oh yeah, well I said this to them. And my wife from the back seat says, is that how you said it? What was she worried about? How the person might have heard it. I said, well, yeah, I kind of said it that way, I think. And, and, and here's the point. I don't know whether I'm right or wrong. But in righteousness, in the position of Jesus Christ that I stand in as a person, I can be bold as a lion. Okay? Bold as a lion also means that you'll be open to the kind of construction, constructive criticism... And, and, and adjustment that God offers us. Does that make sense? Are, are, we, are we okay with that? I mean, I realize just the first, ver first verse. But it's one of those things where people need to recognize that there are certain things we value, and that's what we carry forward. <clears throat> and when we recognize what we're valuing, and then we see an, a, a, a guilt attached to it, right? So, in America, we really value freedom. And let the government say anything about what they might do. You know, I love the bumper stickers <coughs> that say, you can have my gun when you pry my cold, dead fingers off of it. Right? I get it. I, I, I'm, I'm a single gun owner. Here's the one thing I know about guns. If you have two, you can go back a month later and there'll be another one. They multiply in the closet. Right. And so, you, you know, you look in that closet and all of a sudden there'll be 15, 20 or how many guns, Randy? Has yours? 
Just two. <laughs> and they're past the childbearing age. Okay, good. <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying. It, 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 there are just times where, where those kinds of things happen based on this value and some of these other kinds of things. It reproduces inside of you. And so when you don't recognize what God's trying to show you, you'll be bold in the wrong things. You'll be frustratedly angry at a government that technically doesn't have any control over you. And that will come out of you. And God will deal with you about your anger over dealing with the government about their idiocy. Maybe should have said that nicer. Are you tracking with me? Right? Well, what is that? That's, that's that value thing. How do you get to that place? You become righteous in your understanding of who God has made you to be. It is okay if you want to go out and shoot an animal. It's all right. God gave us dominion. It's okay to pump oil out of the ground. God gave us dominion. Be righteous in your position with Jesus Christ and be bold. That's what it does. But balance that with the wickedness that makes you feel guilty, that makes you want to run when somebody else notices what you're doing. The wicked run when no one is pursuing them. Okay. <coughs> Amen. Verse number five. Evil men do not understand justice. 28 and 5, please, Jeremy. Evil men, do you see it? Well, I got a whole bunch of stuff on my screen. Evil men do not understand justice. Listen to me. You cannot get your position of justice from the world. You cannot get your position of justice from the world. The world is crazy as a hoot owl. They don't know what they're doing. They're not consulting an, 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 an immovable source. Does that make sense? <coughs> Excuse me. But those who seek the Lord understand all. Those who seek the Lord understand all. Do, do you see the comparison here? What God will do in your seeking of him will cause you to understand the things that you struggle with. So be careful about sharing your opinion. We're going to get to that scripture in just a second. Be careful about sharing your opinion before you understand. Well, amen. That went well. I got this Yeti cup from our Australian missionaries. Isn't it pretty? Talila Downs, PTY Limited. Don't exactly know what it stands for, but that's their ministry in Australia. <laughs> Just thought I'd change the subject since you guys were so enthused. <laughs> Look down at verse number nine. One who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Now, let me add some New Testament theology to this. In the Old Testament... The only way for you to be right with God is to do something. If you sinned, kill something. Throw the blood around. Okay? That's what the law suggested. <clears throat> Are you, some of you are looking at me like I'm crazy. You understand what I'm saying? In the Old Testament, it was all about you doing what God had prescribed. In the New Testament, it's all about accepting what God did through Jesus Christ. So there are times when you read these things and you've got to make sure that you put your New Testament theology in place or you'll, becomes a, you'll become a works-based 
producer of God's truth. And so in this case, it says one who hears his uh, one who turns his ear away from hearing the law, his prayer is an abomination to the Lord. Listen to me. If we had this in the New Testament, then you would have to adhere to the law so that God could hear your prayers. There would be no way for you to be saved unless you heard the law. Does that make sense? So in the New Testament, God hears your prayers because of Jesus Christ, not because you aren't doing what it says. So sometimes God (laughs) allows us to go over these things and we go, wait a minute, if you think about it, this one doesn't work. This is not right because he's not asking you this this time of the year right now. We're getting close to the to to the, the, the feast of tents where you should bring your tent to the church and live in it for six days in the parking lot. And Jesus will certainly know from that that you love God. Do you see what I'm saying? See, this doesn't make sense in a New Testament theological position. Because it's not about what we do. It's about what God has done. Now, are there principles we can draw from this? Of course. your prayer can be an abomination when it does not align with what God has already done through Jesus Christ. See, we don't think about it that way, but what we think is, well, God, doesn't God want me to be happy? Well, sure, whatever you think. I mean, if that's where you are maturity-wise, you know, that's what happens when you discipline your four-year-old and he says, I don't like you anymore. Right. You know, that's not true. If God has to jump through all the hoops to keep us happy, our happiness is based on the wrong stuff. But if we go through what Jesus did for us and it produces in us a joy that supersedes personal happiness, man, that's some thick swimming right there. That is awesome stuff, because regardless of what you're going through. You can have joy. You can have an interior sense of expectation and and happiness, for lack of a better word, so that you can understand. You can have that on the inside and go, man, God is so awesome. Just watch what he's doing. But what do we do? Oh, I can't go through this. I'm going to die if I don't get out of this mess. See, you're not going to. Congratulations. You're likely not going to. But God will help you learn how to deal with what you're going through in his way. You may not like it. Verse 10, whoever causes the upright to go astray in an evil way, he himself will fall into his own pit. The world right now is digging pits of ignorance and evil. And they're going to fall into it. I mean, this whole equality thing and all these other things are going on. You know what? There are a lot of us probably who are dealing with all kinds of difficulties in our life, including the, the, the people who might have a child with the same sex attraction. I remember the first time I dealt with this in, in my other church, this, this man, this wonderful man, he had a teenage boy. And from his earliest memories, he was interested in boys. And so his idea was, well, I guess I just have to accept this. (laughs) Well, that's better than beating it out of him. Right. What are you going to do with that? 
You're going to treat them through the principles of Jesus Christ, which means you will love it out of them before you will ever beat it out of them or lecture them out of it. It's hard. It's very hard. And the people you're walking by every day are struggling with this kind of stuff. <laughs> so when the Bible says <clears throat> that he himself, the people that are digging, the, the, they're going to fall into it. So when they say boys can be girls, they didn't recognize that there would be somebody of lesser character, six foot five, 250 pound guy who wants to wear a woman's swimming suit and compete against women because he now declares himself a woman. They didn't think about that part. What happened? The world has now begun to fall into the very hole that they're digging because they can't explain the unintended consequences. It, it's everywhere. In everything. Right? I mean, I could go on for hours on this one. The world is... <laughs> the government has fallen into its own pit. They're spending $2 for every dollar they get. And the way they get their money is they ask you for it. But if they took all your money, you still couldn't cover what they want to do. That's their pit. So just relax. <laughs> they can't work very well from inside the pit. It's unfortunate, but stay relaxed. The blameless will inherit good. The blameless will inherit good. <laughs> it literally means there's an inheritance of goodness for those of us who don't enter into this argument about the pit. They're falling into it. Just relax. They're falling into it. Does that make sense? Look at verse 13. He who covers his sins will not prosper. He who covers his sins will not prosper. Whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Whoever confesses them and forsakes them. That's the two-part process of forgiveness. You have to admit that what you've been doing or whatever you did was wrong. And you have to forsake continuing doing that. That's why when Christians come up and say, I've been struggling this for 20 years. Well, stop doing it. And you won't struggle with it anymore. You say, well, that's just, that's just not easy, Pastor. You know that I can't just stop. Okay, you can't. Unless, of course, you trust God and let Him help you. Right? I've, 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 I've counseled a number of people who are very dear to me. And I've watched them walk away from addictions that the world said they would die from. Watch them just walk away. One day they were, the next day they weren't. Hallelujah. You say, well, that doesn't work. Well, it doesn't work for you. See? Don't, don't put that on my world. You say, well, how hard was that? Harder than anything that I ever went through and I don't want to go through it again. How hard is it to walk with families who lose loved ones, who bury their children? Oh, my. And then there are people in the world who give them all kinds of advice that is just borderline stupid. Just thinking, oh, wait just a second. Well, what happens is, when we don't process these things right, we don't receive the mercy that comes from forsaking the activity that we've been in. But whoever confesses, you say, ah, I don't want to see. If you don't confess, go back to verse number one, you'll be that person who's wicked, who runs when nobody's pursuing them. 
Because you'll be guilty on the inside. And you'll try and hide when somebody notices. Confess it and forsake it. And you say, man, that forsaking is hard. Forsaking turns loose the mercy of God when you don't get what you do deserve. I love that. See, grace is when you, when you get what you don't deserve. I don't, I don't deserve God's grace. He just chooses me because of Jesus. But when you forsake sin, you get mercy when you don't get what you do deserve. Most people in the church today, especially fundamental Bible-thumping churches potentially like ours, they don't understand <laughs> this idea of mercy very well because they still want to punish you. So when your heart enters into a perspective of punishment, well, it's okay, I'm going to forgive them, but they're going to get theirs. No, they're not. If they forsake that, God will, through mercy, remove the consequences of their sin. Well, that's not fair. Having done prison ministry for a day or two, I've had to deal with a lot of people who wonder if murderers get into heaven. You say, well, yeah, that person we don't know. Well, let me point out something to you in today's politically charged environment. There will be people, just guard your heart, okay? There will be people who are Democrats in heaven. Surely not. <laughs> there will be liberals in heaven. There will be, there will be people who've participated willingly and knowledgeable in the abortion thing. They'll be in heaven. You say, well, how do you know that? Because Jesus gives them the mercy where the consequences of what they did is covered up by the power of what he did. You don't get what you deserve. So murderers, however you need to see that, through Jesus Christ are no longer murderers. Come on. See, we get this thing. People with purple hair can go to heaven. People with tattoos in unmentionable places go to heaven. People who have scarred themselves through, 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 through uh, 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 psychological effects. I mean, I've dealt with some, some serious cutters before. Does anybody know what a cutter is? Okay, so because they can't feel pain and they don't, don't feel anything, they'll look down at themselves using a razor blade or something and just go like that and watch themselves bleed. And you'll see scars everywhere on them. What happens? They are worthy, just like us, of the consequences of their sin. They're worthy of those things. But Jesus, through mercy, offers them freedom from the consequences of their sin. The scars don't go away, people of God. But you're free from the consequences. Let's not live from the memory of the scars. Well, hello, my name is Glenn. I used to be an alcoholic, you know. No, I didn't. Never have. And I'm not identified that way. I'm a recovering pastor. I used to be a pastor. Now I'm a follower of Jesus. Please don't paint me down into a box that you have no knowledge of. Does everybody know who America's pastor is? Did any of you ever hear? It's going to be older people. Did anybody ever hear that term? America's pastor? 
Who did, who did they, 20 years ago, who was Americans? 30 years ago. Billy Graham, you know he never pastored? <laughs> he was evangelist. Because what makes people happy in the church is when we label things we understand. So anybody who serves God in that kind of a level is a pastor. Wrong box. In fact, kick the walls out of the box and be what God's made you to be. Amen? Hallelujah. What verse was I on? 20. A faithful man will abound in blessings. A faithful man will abound in blessings. Now, let's not make it a cause and effect here, but let's recognize that faithfulness in the things of God will bring blessings in the things of God. Don't turn this into a physical thing. Well, I'm going to be faithful so God can give me money. <clears throat> While that might be true, I don't have any idea. This faithfulness is a spiritual component. You must be faithful. And you say, well, how am I not faithful? You need to be able to process what God has called you to do in such a way that you do it. Are you ready? Without complaint and murmuring. There are times in all of our lives where murmur is our second language. We just mumble, oh, I can't believe God's making me do this. I just don't like this at all. And we murmur. We frustratedly talk out loud inside ourselves. <laughs> a faithful man should be one who recognizes that whatever you think you're going through, God has an end for it that you may not be thinking about. Amen? But he who hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. Ouch. 23. He who rebukes a man will find more favor afterwards than he who flatters with the tongue. As a leader, this one's hard for me because occasionally the only thing holding back someone from walking into at least part of the fullness that God has for them is what they need to correct. And so you speak words of correction. Right. And you, you, you do your best. You all do that. I mean, come on. How many of you have a degree in the ability to recognize what somebody else is doing wrong? Yeah. Well, you may not be called to correct them. God may be teaching you the boundaries for your own life. Don't do that. Right. You don't. But there are times where we rebuke a man. And God does something more than we could ever imagine. And you say, you can't, you can't flatter somebody, right? You cannot, how do I want to say it? You can't pervert your way to blessing. Okay? It won't do any good to say, oh yeah, I'm glad you're doing that. That's awesome. When inside you're saying, that's going to kill you. It's going to kill your spiritual production. You say, you mean there are things that kill our spiritual production? Haven't you ever experienced that? Where God deals with you? Listen, you've, you've experienced it. Let me help you. You've prayed for your spouse or significant other, hoping they would change, and God worked on you. You just experienced it. Wait, God. No, no, fix them. See, the problem is not what they're doing. It's how you see it that is the problem. That'll fly. Verse 25. 
He who is of a proud heart stirs up strife. Now you can't see this one the way you think you can. Because you have to work backwards from the strife. So sometimes what happens is you become the common denominator of all the ugly in your life. Okay? And you say, well, I just can't believe things aren't this way. Okay. <laughs> and you go from family to finances to politics to church, you know, that we didn't paint the walls the right color or whatever, you know, and everything in your life is wrong and you know better than everybody else. And there's always strife around you. That is a symptom of a proud heart. Amen. He who trusts in the Lord will be prospered. He who trusts in the Lord will be prospered. Notice that it seems like God recognizes your trust and in response to the trust prospers you. You say, well, I trust God. It's not your decision. It's his. And occasionally what happens is we trust God, but we trust him in the olden days. See, we trust him with the things we did five years ago or however that works. We trust him in what we expect him to do, what we think he's going to do, rather than trusting him in the midst of whatever you're going through and having him prosper, prosper you through it. That's, by the way, that's when you need God's prosperity. Spiritual substance from heaven when you're going through stuff. This is not, you don't measure this by your bank account. You measure this by that sense of understanding and joy inside of you when your world is falling down around you. Amen. Verse 26. He who trusts in his own heart is a fool. Two, boy. Okay. I had a missionary say to me one time, if people would just listen to the Spirit of God, we'd never have another financial need. That's what they said to me. And I said, so what, now this is one of those times where Tracy should have been there so she could have kind of softened my words a little bit. But so, so what you're saying is that if everybody listens to God, everybody's going to give to you. What's the focus of that? You. The common denominator in your crazy is you. What are you going to do with that? You're going to have to process that because, listen, here's what's going to happen. God's going to bless somebody else and you're going to curse that situation when you see it because you cannot rejoice in someone else's good favor without you being in good favor. Notice it says, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. My heart says everybody should come to new life. And that is a foolish endeavor. I recognize it, but it nonetheless still occasionally touches my heart. Especially, <clears throat> I haven't had it so much here, but in, in uh, my last church, when, when people in other churches, pastor in other church, couldn't have effect with somebody they were counseling, they said, you should call Pastor Glenn out at, out at Christian Faith Outreach. I thought, why do they do that? So I get a phone call. Hey, this is Steve, um, my pastor. I said, what church do you go to? <laughs> my pastor said, I should call you. I said, well, what is it you need? See, when asked that way, they don't even know what they need. Because when they hear it come out of their mouth, I need my life to be simpler, better, whatever. They realize that isn't what God has for me. 
See, they need to change. And so they call for a counseling appointment, which is, but whoever walks wisely will be delivered. The position of wisdom in this situation is one that takes you away from your needs and focuses on what God has already put in your life. This is probably a mature enough group for me to say that everything you need is already in your life. If you're short on provision, it's because you don't see your need correctly. I know I should have said that nicer. You have everything you need. Here's the problem. <clears throat> when everything you need is in your life, you have a choice. You can eat it because you need supply or you can sow it because you want supply. Your choice. Whoever walks wisely will be delivered. Amen. Okay, we're going to pick up chapter 29 next week. Time. My thing says time. I saw it now. So the countdown you were giving me was actually the countdown to 945. Thank you, Jeremy. I ignored it. <laughs> but I'm, going, I'm figuring it out. You know, he's so excited about this new software. So that's my corner up there where they put messages for me. So, Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for teaching us by your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you all. Thank you for listening. To subscribe to our podcast, search New Life Eckley in all of the major podcasting apps. Audio and video of our sermons are posted at newlifeeckley.com slash live, and you can watch sermon slices weekdays on social media. Search at New Life Eckley. Our main service is at 10 a.m. Mountain Time every Sunday. Thanks for listening.